Welcome to Football Americas. I know Seb couldn't do that one. Uh, no Sebastian Salazar today. He's on vacation again. Again. Get me on that contract. But uh, Brandon, it's oh. not a DP anymore. We got El Jugador de Franquicia, wow. the Liga MX star, Mauricio Pedrosa today. Mal, how's it going? Am I getting paid as a DP player or not? Because we're, we're about to find out the salaries for those DPs in Major League Soccer in just a second. I'm doing great. Uh, great to be with you again today. We were already together on our Onuka and ESPN Deportes, but now we have a great show. Jeff Carlisle will join the show in a moment to talk about the historic day in U.S. soccer. And, and watch this, a Mexican coach, an American coach, fighting to remain in first-tier soccer in Spain and in England. It's going to be a crazy weekend. Uh, lots to talk about. But when I get started with your Tigres, with your former team, Hi. playing in semifinals at El Estadio Jalisco. Let's go to the highlights. Atlas defending champs, hosting Tigres. First leg of Liga MX semis. And the game didn't start well for Tigres. Penalty. I think that's a reckless, reckless tackle by Paton Guzman. It's a PK. And who else? Julio Furch scores for Atlas. How about the finish from Furch? Uh, and then it got from bad to worse. Ay, el hueso. Luis Reyes finishing that one off. Uh, Nahuel Guzman probably got screened there. Either way, still got a hand to it. Couldn't keep it out of the net. But from then on, Miguel Herrera was very worried. But a good spell for Tigres. They actually created four to five good chances, but unable to convert. No, 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 no. Not four to five good chances. They should have converted <laughs> on at least three. Camilo hey, Vargas. Best goalkeeper Camilo in the game, man. Vargas. What is going on there? But it was Tigres, and then just when Tigres is playing their best football at the moment, look at this. Oh no, don't give it to Gignac, that's the guy you want there. Gignac! Oh! Gignac! Gignac! That looked like a great goal, but after watching the replay, do you think Paton Guzman had probably a little more chances to do something else? Yeah, maybe so. Miguel Herrera after the game. No tuvimos hoy la suerte de anotar porque tuvimos cinco veces el 2-1 y no la metimos, son circunstancias que pasan, pero bueno, pues así como dices que tuvimos en no sé cuántos partidos dos goles, también tuvimos en 17 partidos 30 goles, entonces tengo que apostar a, a atacar, no conocemos otra forma. Me preguntan lo mismo, ¿cómo no se relaja el equipo? ¿Cuándo se va a relajar este equipo? ¿No están viendo los resultados? Entonces, fíjense, este equipo termina de salir campeón y juega una semifinal y juega con el corazón en la mano y deja todo dentro de la cancha y le gana 3 a 0 a Tigre. Así que hoy, como le dije la otra vez, quiero disfrutar. Y cuando tengo un equipo con esta actitud, vamos a hacer lo que tenemos que hacer en Tigre. Vamos a salir a jugar con todo, a, a, a defender nuestra identidad y saber que el rival tranquilamente puede remontar este resultado. I bet he's enjoying himself. Diego Coca defending champs and probably punching the ticket to the final again. I want to get your reaction. And I, I want to let you know very, very quickly that I was not expecting this. I did, well. not, I did not see the 3-0 coming. I thought Atlas was going to be strong. No, this strong. What was your, your reaction to the game? My immediate reaction, Mal, 
I'm a little bit in awe, as yeah. I'm sure yeah. you yeah. were watching yeah. this yeah. and many others. And I also don't think the scoreboard is indicative of what actually went on in this game. That doesn't matter because 3-0, any way you try to slice it up, that's a drumming. Now, what I will say is I also, I mean, a little bit of an awe of the fan support not coming out to support Atlas. A little bit of an awe of what I saw. Um, and, and Tigres handing, Miguel Herrera handing Atlas a good 45 50, maybe 60 minutes of play where they just laid down, where they just no fights, no effort. There was no cohesion, no movement in the final third. There was no clear idea. And when they started playing their best brand of football, they get the third. So here's my big concern regarding Tigres. It's not that this game just happened. They haven't been any good in the last five to six weeks. Yeah. It all started with Gignac's injury, right? And you have to take that in consideration. If your best player is not 100%, then you collectively are gonna suffer that as well. I don't think Gignac is anywhere closer to being 100%. He looked frustrated, he tried, but it's not the same Gignac that we saw in the first 10, 12 weeks of the league this season. So that's my big concern because if Gignac is not having a great then, then who else is gonna have a good day to allow Tigres, to give Tigres a chance to be com competitive I mean, as they were in the regular season? I mean, ask that question of any other team in Liga Mekis, honestly, uh, even America. If you, yeah, but nobody has a Gignac. Well, hold right? on, hold that's on. That's decisive. But, but you ha don't have a Gignac because he's not there, he's not a 100%. Uh, Quinones still had nine assists in the league. El Diente Lopez, Nico Lopez, had, he was a leading goal scorer last season. Yeah, Solteldo, you've got Tovan on the bench. You've got uh, Gonzalez. who had Bigon one point, was great during the regular season. Bigon was Has great. So, been great so in the playoffs. what I'm trying to say is there are variantes. There are certain elements of this team where you could say they can get you out of something. I mean, Clearly, Tigres had opportunities to score. Clearly, Tigres had the 2-1. And if that 2-1 goes in, it's a momentum shifter. And then they could have a 2-2, even a 3-2, whatever you want. They had their chances. Now, second leg at El Volcan. You know that stadium very, very well. You know those fans. Hey, we're not going to see an empty seat at El Volcan as we saw at Estadio Jalisco. That puts a lot of pressure. But what do you think is going to happen? Do you see Tigres scoring three goals? Do you see Atlas maybe scoring one that could be the deciding goal under Diego Coca. Atlas, they have never lost by a deficit of three or more goals. Yeah. If you're asking me what's more probable, Tigres scoring three goals or, or Atlas uh, not being able to score one, uh, I'm going to go with the Tigres scoring three goals because it's yeah. They can easily score three goals. On this they're, Atlas? They're on, yeah, I, I think they can. Here's the thing. They're the most offensive team in regular season. It's Tigres. They have André Pierre Gignac, who was a leading goal scorer. This not 100%. Year. Just, that's fine. I just named all these players and how good they can be. They can do that at El Sadio Volcan. Yes, they can. In Monterrey, absolutely. Here's my worry. While they're trying to do that, are you trying to tell me that Quinones Furch and this team who plays very much a transition type of game, a transition type of football game, won't be able to sneak in in those spaces that are going to be afforded to them because they now have to go chase the game and get one? That's the difficult part. And if they get one, that means Tigres has to get four. If they get two, that means Tigres has to get five. It's a very tricky situation. Yes, Tigres can score three. I've yeah. got no issue, no doubt on that. They can do that. Uh, Atlas not scoring a goal? That's I, another thing. I do have a lot of doubts that Tigres can score three on this Atlas. We just mentioned Camilo Vargas. 
Camilo Vargas is the best goalkeeper in Liga MX right now. Big factor why Atlas was great last season, why they won the trophy, and why, again, they are competing to go back-to-back. Now, there's, there's another point with that. I just pointed that out in terms of how Atlas and the very direct game that they played, that they actually dominate. It's not only that they are good at it, they dominate that, that style of play. And if you watch the third goal, there's something very worrisome for Miguel Herrera. His team, they're not any good defending transitions. They were slow, they were sloppy, and even Nahuel Guzman was very very bad position that allowed Quinones to find that space and score. So I think it's more probable that Atlas are going to score on Tigres. There's no way I do not see these Tigres scoring three on Atlas, one of the best defensive teams in Liga, second best team uh, defending in, in Liga MX. That's going to be a tough one. It's, it's going to be, be a tough be, one. Uh, very tough one, but that's... Uh, there's another topic that I wanted to touch with you. All right. Um, when we started analyzing the semifinals, even Las Vegas, the odds maker, had America and Tigres as favorites yeah. to advance to the final. Why are we overlooking Atlas? considering they are the defending champs? It's a good question. And it's a question that we brought up in the production meeting, and everybody's like, they are overlooking. Why they are, are they yeah. Here's the reason why. They're not a sexy team. It's a 70-year drought for this team. It's a massive kind of underlying sleeping giant of a fan base, but they're the second team in Guadalajara. You most likely would agree Chivas is the first team in Guadalajara, so they're not even the biggest team in their own city. They're also a team that plays a very pragmatic style. A coach who doesn't like to get in in with polemic uh, um, declarations. You saw him right there. Hey, let me enjoy this. I love my team. They're playing with passion type of deal. They're also a team that doesn't really have those star players. Julio Furch, very good player. Quinones, very good player. Camilo Vargas, very, very good oh, yeah. player. But none of those players are star power type of players when you talk about Liga Amekis. Uh, this just isn't a team that captivates, that grabs the headlines. And because of it, they've been, in their own way, been able to be very pragmatic about their approach and very under the radar, and it's gotten them results. I see two reasons. Number one, star power, right? Tigres, they have the star power. I don't know if this current America also they have like big star power. Oh, the Memo biggest Choa. star. Nobody has, Guillermo Choa, but America is the powerhouse in Mexican soccer. Number two is Lacey Takes. And you read Lacey Takes, you listen to Lacey Takes, and you're going to watch pundits giving Lacey Takes because it's the simplest thing saying, oh, America is favorite just because they are America. Right. right? Tigres, no, they aren't the favorites. They're, they're Tigres. They have been the most team dominant the team in Mexican soccer in the past 12 years. That's just lazy. And uh, I, when, I, when, I, when I see this Atlas team, I think of Cruz Azul. When Cruz Azul, a year ago, finally won the league, right? It felt like su campeonitis, the hangover after winning the championship. Man, I had never had those hangovers in my life. And trust me, I've had some very bad hangovers in my life. But Atlas, they kept the core. They kept the team, and they're still hungry. And, and, and I'm going to give Diego Coca a lot of credit. You know I was not the biggest Diego Coca fan once he took over Atlas, but now I got to give him credit, not only because they won the title after 70 years, but they still want more. Atlas is looking good, and I wouldn't be surprised, man, if they go back-to-back. But we'll see what happens first at El Volcan next Saturday. All right. 
In case you missed it, Bayer Leverkusen, yes, the German team was in Mexico to play a friendly match. And this is what their manager, Gerardo Seoane, said on why Mexican players are not as coveted in Europe, especially in Germany. And he said, it is difficult for me to assess. I cannot generalize. The Mexican player is very technical, perhaps not very physically powerful. And the German league is very disputed with a lot of physical power. Maybe that could be a reason. There, uh, there was also a conversation regarding Diego Lainez, maybe being uh, nominated for a transfer to Bayer Leverkusen. So they played Toluca, and actually Toluca ended up winning the game. But do you see, do you detect any lies on what Seoane had to say about Mexican players? Let me just start off by saying uh, his own comments. I don't want to generalize, but let me generalize. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Let me start off by saying you should never generalize. Don't label a group of people or a sector the way you see that. You talk about lazy takes, that's a very lazy take. Uh, but we see these stereotypes in world football all the time. And I've experienced these stereotypes uh, as a player. Uh, Americans, very disciplined, probably not as technical, uh, not as intelligent, or, or not as modern uh, in today's uh, game. And this was when I was playing. This is when my uh, group or my core, uh, Mexican players aren't as physical. They're very good and very technical with the ball, but they're not as disciplined there and they're not as physical. We see these types of lazy takes all the time. And it's just ridiculous, it's stupid. There are very good players all around the world who don't have physical power, who aren't the strongest, but are very technical, are very fast, and are very smart in their speed of play. That's where they're strong. So this type of take to me, I just don't understand. I know it's wrong to generalize, and, and his words do come out as, as a lazy take, but we've seen examples of Mexican players going to Europe and one of the first things we say or hear, right, from either Spain, Germany, he has to get stronger. What happened to Diego Reyes? First thing that was mentioned about Diego Reyes, oh, he's very skinny. He's very technical. He has a good, uh, he has a good game. He has to get stronger. Diego Lainez, same thing. Small guy, fast guy, has to get stronger. Maybe even Chucky Lozano. And, and, and I understand why someone would make those comments. Where I think everybody's wrong is... Did anybody say that about Messi when he was doing the things that he was doing at Barcelona? Did anybody say that about yeah, Neymar? But... And I'm not comparing those players to the Mexican players. What I believe is there's some, maybe a bit of truth in his words. I think the way he expressed it is probably wrong. I mean, I didn't hear that about uh, Aaron Galindo. I didn't hear that about Pavel Pardo. Aaron Galindo was strong. Pavel Pardo was Torado. strong. That's what I'm saying. So that you shouldn't, like if there are Mexican players with these traits, yeah. you shouldn't just generalize about it. And that's, that's where I think his fault lies. All right, so Bayer Leverkusen actually played in Toluca. There's, there, there's a good synergy going on right now between Bayer Leverkusen and not only Toluca, but a lot of uh, Mexican teams. Toluca ended up winning that game. And here we have, here we go with the highlights. And Toluca was one of the biggest disappointments yeah. in uh, Liga MX oh, this season. We, we saw Rudy Feller, the legend. But hey, at least, at least they got a victory against a very, very solid Bayer Leverkusen team. Solid Bayer Leverkusen against uh, one of the worst teams in Liga Mekis this season, Toluca. That's Alexis Canelo. What a golazo by Alexis Canelo. And uh, I don't know, he looked like he had some speed and strength to him there. Yeah, and uh, that's a very, very bad miss. Uh, and the people actually started 
Boeing, Boeing yeah. Ian Gonzalez, uh, Spaniard player. He didn't have a good season, and in the end, Ian Gonzalez made some uh, obscene gestures to the crowd. Uh, the team said he's going to be fine, and maybe he's going to be released from Toluca after that performance. We have the German Cup final, Deutsche Pokal, on ESPN News and ESPN Deportes Saturday, starting at 2 p.m. Eastern. Freiburg facing RB Leipzig. That's the final of the German Cup on ESPN News and ESPN Deportes, also streaming on the ESPN app. This podcast is proud to be supported by Jets Pizza, the number one pick in Detroit-style pizza. Why? It's simple. Jets is better. With the thickest, crispiest, cheesiest Detroit-style pizza in the country, there's no competition. Right now, get $5 off any eight-corner pizza with code 8SAVE. That's the number eight, S-A-V-E. Go to jetspizza.com to learn more and find a location near you. Again, try Jets' signature eight-corner pizza and get $5 off with code 8SAVE. That's the number eight, S-A-V-E. Jets Pizza. Better because it has to be. A massive day in U.S. soccer history on Wednesday. And after long, controversial, and difficult negotiations, the U.S. Soccer Federation and the players' unions for both U.S. women's and men's national teams agreed to bargaining agreements that finally make equal pay a reality. And there's a lot to, this, to dissect here. What does that exactly mean? Why welcome bonuses were crucial? Let's go to the details of said agreement, uh, including it will begin on June 1st, will last through the end of 2028. World Cup bonuses will be split evenly, identical payment for pre-game bonuses, getting rid of national team salaries, equal distribution for commercial and ticket revenue. The U.S. women's national team players in 2022 could see their compensation increase anywhere from 34% to 49% compared to 2018. Now let's go and welcome Jeff Carlisle, ESPN senior writer and correspondent for ESPN. Jeff, it's always great to talk to you. Welcome to Football Americas once more. Um, what was the biggest hurdle? What was the biggest obstacle to get equal pay? And how, how did this group finally figure it out? Well, I think it's kind of tough to pick one obstacle. Um, I think there are a lot of them. Um, certainly... There was a lot of resistance within the USSF to, to, to make this kind of deal, to, to actually, you know, make them an offer for true equal pay in terms of the rates. Um, and there was resistance about the World Cup bonuses. But um, and certainly I think that was probably the, the trickiest hurdle uh, or the, the biggest hurdle to get over. Although by the end, that had been relatively settled. I'm told that it was really the per game bonuses uh, that were, were kind of the, the most difficult hurdle. And then you also talk about the, the sharing of commercial revenue and also the benefits that some U.S. women players are going to continue to receive. So, again, there are, there are a lot of pieces to it. Um, I think even as few, recently as a few weeks ago, the World Cup bonus part of it was, was largely figured out. It was kind of those other aspects that, that still had to be negotiated. But certainly uh, a lot of work done by a lot of women players over the years. You know, you go back to the 1999 team even. I mean, they've been pushing for this for a while. And they finally got it. And certainly they got an assist from the men's team who were willing to give up, you know, a part of their World Cup bonuses that they had received in the past. So I think a lot of hurdles to get over 
Um, but, you know, credit to the parties involved that they were able to get it done. You mentioned the uh, men's side that was willing to give up a slice of those World Cup bonuses uh, to get this going. Were there any concessions for the women to get this going, to make it equal, if I could say equal in quotations? Yeah, I think they gave up their guaranteed contracts. I mean, I think people tend to forget that, you know, the two unions had very different structures to their deals. Um, the men were pure pay for play. Uh, you get called in, you get paid. You don't get called in, you don't get paid. Um, the women's uh, deal was a little bit more of a hybrid. You had, at the end of the last CBA, 16 women players who were basically called contracted players. They were under contract to the federation uh, to the tune of 100 grand a year. And so, you know, basically they, they gave those salaries up. Now it's it's much more of a, a pay for play model. Um, the benefits are still uh, going to be doled out uh, not to everyone. It's going to be 27 players, I think, to start. And then it's going to move to 23 players as the deal moves forward. So um, but yeah, I mean, the women gave up those guaranteed contracts. And, and I think you got to give a, a, a nod or a tip of the cap to the NWSL because you know, obviously the collective bargaining agreement that they just agreed upon with their players um, the minimum salaries went up considerably. I mean, they still got a long way to go. I mean, it's still only 35,000, but, um, you know, I think that that gave the, the, the national team players on the women's side, uh, a little more comfort, a, a little more feeling like there's going to be some stability in terms of their NWSL salaries. And so they're able, you know, to take a little bit more risk in terms of their deal with the U S soccer federation. Now, Jeff, how does U.S. soccer, uh, look after all of this, all the legal battles, all the campaigns that went down. What's in terms of looks? How does U.S. soccer come out of this? Certainly a lot better than they did a year ago or even six months ago, I think. Um, but there's still, there's still some, some, some wounds there that need to heal. I mean, you know, just in talking to, to Midge Purse yesterday, she was saying she wasn't going to hand out any gold stars for you know, the, the Federation finally doing the right thing. And so uh, I, I think there are still some wounds that, that, that need to heal. I think, I think there's some, some hurt feelings that, uh, that, that need to be addressed. Um, but I think, you know, that the Federation, and in particular, Cindy Parlo-Cohn, the USSF president, can rightfully say, hey, we're, we're back at the forefront of, of equality, you know, gender equality. And Cindy Parlo-Cohn spoke of trying to, to spread this movement to other federations around the world. Um, I think that's going to be slow going. Uh, Cohn admitted that uh, as admitted to that as much, you know, certainly in her conversations with Victor Montagliani of CONCACAF or Gianni Infantino in FIFA. Um, she mentioned that the progress is going to be slow, but um, certainly this provides, I think, some critical momentum for guiding other federations and how they want to approach things. But um, certainly the breadth of this deal and you think about the different revenue streams that were all made equal, whether it was the, the World Cup bonuses, the, the per game bonuses, the commercial revenue sharing. Um, all of that is really impressive in terms of just how many different revenue streams were actually made equal. Uh, Jeff, I'm glad you brought up Cindy Parlacone on this uh, subject right now. Uh, what was her role? I mean, ex-women's national team player, first player since the 80s turned president within the federation. Certainly she had a role going forward in this. What was it? Well, I think she just helped bring a different kind of tone to the negotiations. I mean, when Carlos Cordero was elected USSF president, you know, he, he did promise that he was going to address the equal pay issue. But I think the fact that, like you said, Cindy Parlo Cohn is a former women's national team player. I just think that brings a certain level of credibility and increases the level of trust 
that, you know, the, the concerns that the women's national team had, uh, the concerns from their players were going to be heard. They were going to be listened to and that there was real a real impetus on the side of, of the federation to to get this done, to get a deal done and, and really address these issues head on that the, the women have been fighting for officially since 2016, but even for decades prior. I mean, you, you talk to you know, Julie Foudy and, and the rest of the 99ers and they, 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 they'll tell you stories about how long they've been at this. So um, I do think Cindy Parlo-Cohn deserves a lot of credit for getting this done. I mean, granted, there were labor lawyers on both sides doing the actual tough negotiations, but I do think that that having a former women's national team player in the room on the federation side definitely kind of just changed the tone of everything and, and really provided uh, an impetus to get this done. Yeah, it wasn't easy. It took a lot of time, a lot of negotiating, but it's finally done. Another big, big step. Jeff, it's always a pleasure to talk to you. Thank you for your time, sir. Anytime, guys. Hi, it's Mike Greenberg letting you know ESPN Bet is ready to take you through all the biggest sports moments this spring. The official sportsbook of ESPN has exclusive offers and markets from Scott Van Pelt, Stephen A. Smith, and me, plus many more. From the playoff intensity to finally getting out to the ballpark, there's no better time for sports fans. Sign up today. New users get a bet reset up to $1,000 in bonus bets if your first bet doesn't win. Download ESPN Bet today. What a play. Must be 21 plus and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. See app for details. All right, let's go to the good, the, ba the bad, and the ugly. Midweek action in Major League Soccer. Seattle Sounders, they beat Houston Dynamo 1-0. That's not the biggest story, Herc. That's your boy, Stefan Frey. Another clean sheet, and it's a milestone that moves him into third all-time in career MLS shutouts. Wow. Everybody, everybody was freaking out about the Sounders not winning in league play. I, I was. How I was. dare you? Please uh, relax. Take a breath. Also, 36 years old, Stefan Fry, third all-time behind. Look at these names. Yeah. Kevin Hartman, one of the all-time greats, and Nick Ramondo. Nick Ramondo, who's a freak. Nobody is catching. No, at, at no way. 54 clean sheets. Both players, Nick Ramondo and Kevin Hartman, two MLS Cups. They are done. Stefan Fry, two MLS Cups. He is still going and a CONCACAF Champions League. He's already in the best goalkeeper for Major League Soccer conversation of all time. Very difficult in my eyes to overpass what Nick Ramondo no, has done as happen. far as clean sheets, but This man is already on a, the team of the decade. He's already established himself as the premier goalkeeper in Major League Soccer. And what's crazy to me is he's the 12th highest paid goalkeeper in Major League Soccer. What? That's so unfair. That's not right. All right. Let's go back to the bad. Chicago Fire losing the lead twice to New York, to New York Red Bull. They haven't won a match in two months. And... The hype on Gagas Lonina is quickly fading. Another crucial mistake by the goalkeeper. Uh, this is from bad to worse. Can we make it in the worst? Almost came into the ugly. It's the ninth straight game without a win if you include the U.S. Open Cup game against Union Omaha, who does not play in Major League Omaha, Soccer. Omaha, Omaha. Oh, yeah. look at that. Oh, no, Gaga. Again. I will get to Gaga in one second. It's the sixth time they have lost in that nine-game span. And it's back-to-back -back goalkeeping airs for Gaga Slonina, the young teenager, the talented teenager, 
who has a wealth of talent. Maybe all this national team talk, maybe all this European talk is getting to him. You need to slow down, back to the basics. Very high ceiling, but that's back to back and the team isn't winning. Needs to get it right. Yeah, uh, Shakiri has scored in the 88th minute. What we thought was the game winner, not so fast. They're conceding another late goal. Chicago Fire, and they're not doing great. And the ugly, and this was very, very ugly late in the Colorado Sporting KC ah. game. Look at this fight erupting, kicking, grabbing, choking, shoving. Right. It got ugly and out of control. Right, let me try to give you a play-by-play -play here, okay? Please. Uh, 91st, 91st minute, okay, Austin Trusty gets a second yellow. He gone, okay? Now we're in the 96th minute. Daniel Shallowy kicks Nicolás Mesquida, because he's angry, he gone, red card. Lucas Esteban defends Mesquida, comes in and shows Shallowy, yeah. he gone. Yeah. Andreo Fontas puts his hands on the neck of Diego Rubio, he gone. And then uh, Rubio play acts a little, uh, just an embarrassing way to end the game in Kansas. I don't even know what to make it. I'm sure Peter Vermes must have been beside himself. No doubt. I mean, listen, I'm not I'm not celebrating. I'm not I'm not uh, thinking that fighting but, is okay. But, I love seeing but, I, I love seeing players but, with a lot of fight, but listen man. But every once in a while, but, you got to step up for your buddy. Oh, come on, man. Every once in a while, you got to send on. a message. And if things are not Listen, things are going very very bad for Sporting Kansas City this season. There's a lot of frustration accumulating in that team and I think that was a big big outlet for them. Alright Herc, are you cool with it? Here's the list of the top 10 paid players in Major League Soccer. Sheridan Shatsidi is leading the way earning 8.1 million dollars followed by Chicharito Javier Hernandez in the 6 million mark and then Gonzalo Higuain making uh, 5.8, Pozuelo, Altedorf, Joseph Martinez and in number 7 Carlos Vela. The list uh, goes on with Luis Araujo, Lucas Celarajan, and Carles Gil. So, are you cool with Serdan Satsiri being the highest paid player in Major League Soccer right now? Uh, let me tell you that I don't know if I'm cool, but just astonished that in Major League Soccer's rich history with personalities and names, like I'm talking about world talent, names. Drogba, Thierry Henry, Slatan, mm. Bex, Beckham, Pirlo, uh, uh, the, the plethora of Mexican, elite Mexican players who can make a lot of money for Trophies. their off the field, off the field endeavors in Major League Soccer. That is Jerdan Shichiri, who is the highest paid player and the second highest paid player today. Okay, highest paid player in their history. Okay, at eight million one, and the second highest paid player right now is two million dollars behind him, and he's on a losing team. And it's Jared Shishiri, who's great guy, friend of the show, whatever you want, yeah, want to say. Yeah. Thirty-one years of age, oh, who's coming off a seven point five million dollar transfer from the French league in Lyon, who who is best years were at Stoke City years ago. And this is the highest paid player in the history of Major League Soccer. My mind is blown. I have a theory. I have a theory on, what, on why uh, City is the highest paid player. Most of the players you previously named, right? Trogba, Lampard, Pilo, uh, Pirlo, Keane, Slatten, they were making the money because of their name, because of who they were. 
My only theory is that Chicago Fire actually believes that Serdan Satsidi is going to be great and he's going to actually earn those $8.1 million. Because if you're paying Satsidi because of what he did in Europe, man, you're definitely overpaying the guy. And we're not including... Uh, Lorenzo Insigni on this list yet because he's not officially a major league soccer player as of yet, but he will make reportedly at Toronto between 13 and 15 million dollars a year. We don't know yet. Until the players union puts we it out, know. we don't know right. yet. But we don't know yet. What I will say just to put a bow on this is MLS needs the Chicago market to come back. It needs the Cuauhtémoc Blanco years. Mm. It needs what it had once, that vibrant Chicago atmosphere. It needs it to be an important market. If they believe playing Gerdan Shachiri, $8.1 million is the best way to do it, fine. But do it. And if it's not, whoo, what yeah. are we doing in Chicago? And, and, and it's not about the one player. I mean, in terms of making a team better... It's not about paying $8.1 million to Serdan Satsidi. You need much more than that. Now, we saw Carlos Vela at number seven making uh, a little over $4 million. His contract reportedly expires by June 30th. So he's in the middle of negotiations with LAFC. So that's $4 million for half a season. Correct. That's for half a season. So he was asked yesterday after a loss, he scored a PK, by the way, he was asked about, does he want to stay? Where's he's at right now and his negotiations with LAFC? I mean, it's football, it's sports. Until you don't sign, you don't have nothing, like for sure. But we are working, the club and myself, both sides, we are doing some effort to make this work. But in the end, I think when the both part want to be together i think in the end can be a good end so like i always say like i'm really happy here i love to play in la i love to play in this stadium with these fans so if it's in my hands for sure i will be here i will help this club to to win a trophy and for my part i'm doing my my stuff we will see how how we end all right, Herc, what do you make of uh, Vela's comments on Wednesday night? You know, it, it sounds like, and obviously this is the most part, participative uh, Vela that we've seen. Uh, he's not really the most talkative after games. He's definitely uh, uh, very much to himself, especially with the press. Uh, cards uh, held very tightly to the vest. But he seems like he wants to get the deal done. He seems like he's sending a message like, this is where I want to be. Obviously, we need to come to terms, but we're getting there. We want to get it done. What people may not realize is I don't think Carlos Vela is looking for the 6.5 million dollars that he's had uh, in the previous three years uh, going on four. Carlos Vela right now is four million dollars for half a season. The next deal will be for a year and a half. I believe Carlos Vela realizes what has transpired not only this season where he's only got five goals and he hasn't quite been. No, it hasn't been good. He hasn't been, Vela, he hasn't been Carlos Vela-esque. Yeah, yeah. But the last two years He's combined nine goals in two years. We've not seen the best of Carlos Vela, and I understand a lot of that is health. I understand a lot of that is getting him back on the field. I understand the circumstances that revolve it. But this demeanor from Carlos Vela tells me he understands it as well. So when these numbers come out, I will be very shocked if it's anywhere near that $6.5 million range. Uh, I have one more thing to say about Carlos Vela and why he said what he said and why he said it the way he said it. Because now he's putting a lot of pressure 
on management. Now he's telling the fans. This is this was not Carlos Vela talking to, to the media. This was Carlos Vela talking to the fans. Listen, I want to be here. I love you guys. I love this club. I love my life in LA. I love living in LA and then I love playing representing your club. I want to be here. Maybe management doesn't want me here anymore. So it's not, if I don't stay here, it's not me, it's them. So I thought it was a very smart statement. I thought it was very smart by Carlos Vela, the way he said it, because now it seems like the ball is on the owner's club, right? The ball is on the executive's court to see what the next move is gonna be. I will also be very, very surprised if this is in the end a long-term agreement. No, a year and a half is what they're saying. Year and a half, yeah. exactly. It has to be a year and a half. But, but, but I thought just Carlos Vela was, was super smart. He knows how to handle the media. He doesn't really like the media. Well, he knows how to handle the media, and that's been very smart. All right, Sevi's not here, but that doesn't mean we cannot do the Get Lost segment. Um, DirecTV's Euro reporter Alex Scandal made the news earlier this week. He said he had access to someone who allegedly saw a contract that would link Lionel Messi. Yeah, you heard that well. Lionel Messi to Inter Miami as an owner. He was set to acquire 35% of ownership. Take a listen. El señor Lionel Messi va a adquirir el 35% de las acciones del Inter de Miami. Y el señor Lionel Messi se va a incorporar al equipo en el verano del 2023. El contrato está hecho. Está impreso. All right, would you tell Alex Kandal to get lost? Yeah, I would definitely tell him to get lost. And not because, there's a few reasons. We didn't see the end of that, but I'll tell you about it right now. There's, there's a few reasons of why he should get lost. Um, do I potentially see Lionel Messi coming to Major League Soccer? Yes, yes I do. Do I potentially, or can I see him coming to Miami? Yes, yes I can see that. Do I eventually see him becoming an owner of an MLS team in some way, shape, or form, or fashion? Yes, yes I do. Do I believe a reporter's report that he didn't see it, but somebody that he knows saw a contract that's not signed for Lionel Messi to acquire actions and ownership of a team that he will then play for, which you're not allowed to do. Yep, number one, season. yes, <laughs> thank you. No, no I don't, get lost. That's what you guys didn't see there. This to me is what we always see. Lionel Messi, how could I create ways I could create headlines? Major League Soccer, stick him on a team. What's a sexy team right now to people abroad? It's Messi, it's David Beckham's team. But no, can this all happen? Yes, eventually yes. Is this report true? No. You know I have a saying in Espanol, right? Help me translate this. Okay. Perro no come perro. Right? Yeah, it's it's saying like directly his dog doesn't need dog, but you're trying to say is like exactly. a reporter shouldn't bash on another reporter. Exactly. We 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 belong uh, to the same team. So I'm not gonna go ahead and, and, and bash Mr. Alex Kandal. But what he said I will. what he said is equivalent to me grabbing my iPad right now, right? You know I'm a lawyer. Yeah, yeah. I oh, could I could redact a I'm mean, I'm a lawyer. What? I could redact a contract right now that states that Lionel Messi 
will become an owner, part owner of Inter Miami. He will have 35% of the stakes of the team, and he will play starting 2023. I can, I can do that right now. Herc, take a look at the contract. Oh, yeah. Who signed it? Yeah. Well, I mean, it's not signed. Oh. It's not signed. Okay. But, but the contract is here, right? <laughs> you see it, right? You see it. You saw it, yeah. right? Yeah. That's exactly what happened, folks. That's, it. That's exactly what happened. So get lost, man. You know I don't like doing this, but get lost. That was not right. Uh, let's go to better news. Let's go to happier Amazing news, the class of 2022 of the National Soccer Hall of Fame, Clean Dempsey, Hope Solo, and Marco El Diablo Echeverri, former DC United great, also Shannon Box, Linda Hamilton, AC Barmas. It's a great class. It's a great, great class. Her congratulations to all the inductees. We had a chance to talk to Marco Echeverri earlier today. Great guy, great anecdotes, especially if you remember when he saw a red card at the World Cup in 1994. But I wanted to talk to you about this because me being born and raised in Mexico, right, and, and having suffered everything that Landon Donovan did to the Mexican national team, I always thought that the GOAT of the U.S. men's national team, other than Hercules Gomez, of course, <laughs> yeah. was Mr. Landon Donovan. Yeah. But apparently, it's, that's not the case. Well, it's not the case in, in, in many of the eyes of U, the U.S. men's national team. I shouldn't say it's not a landslide okay. decision okay. that you make it seem to be. But when you talk about Mexican fans, they say Landon Donovan. I mean, El not, not even close. That's who they Public pick. enemy number one. And, and you could see that you could see how I mean we're splitting hairs here. When you when you talk about <laughs> I mean, the this, numbers. This honestly. graphic is insane. But when you look at the goals versus Max, well that's why Landon Donovan in your eyes, because look how much he hurt Mexico. He hurt Mexico. But when you talk about the GOAT of all time with U.S. men's national fans, it's very split, and this is an emotion, and that's what Clint Dempsey was. He was emotional. Clint Dempsey was passion. Clint Dempsey was a vibe. Clint Dempsey was something like you've never seen. Field players, because goalkeepers always ran rampant in Europe for American soccer, but when he came to a field player, he was the first yeah. to attract that type of attention, the first to even get to double-digit goals. We're talking about 12 goals in a season in Europe. He was that man. He was about it, and when you look at his resume. National team, all-time leading goal scorer tied with, yes, Landon Donovan. But when you look at his resume, his club resume is what sets him apart. Landon Donovan? Look at you. Look there, at you. Look at you. Very, very good player. And I'm not going to take anything away from him. He deserves everything. He was a face for U.S. soccer for so long. He deserves everything out there. But Landon Donovan played in Major League Soccer in a time when it started where there was 10 teams. Yeah. It was 12 teams, excuse me. And then it got sent to 10. And, and, it, and, and then it expanded, correct. Clint Dempsey was in Europe playing his trade at the highest of levels representing American soccer. And the numbers are so identical. See, I give it to Clint because of club soccer. But, but, but I see it the other way around, and here's why. I believe Landon Donovan could have had... An amazing career in Europe. Well, it's right? not that who could have had. But, but I mean, but I mean, you ever heard of John he O'Brien? But but I, but I believe he made a decision to come back to the states and play, not only play, succeed in Major League Soccer. That being a huge factor for the current success of the current development. If you don't call it a success yet, but the current development of Major League Soccer. I do not know if without Landon Donovan and his time at the LA Galaxy, the league attracts 
The players that I now well, attract. Well, that's where you're confused because the majority, I would say, of U.S. Men's National Team fans, or a large portion of U.S. Men's National Team fans, don't care about Major League see? Soccer. See? Well, that, that's how, and, that's and, how and I see it you, it from the outside. You could talk to about my the point, development why, why of Major I see League like Soccer, that. but I could point to the development of the American player, the U.S. Men's National Team eligible player in Europe because of people like Clint Dempsey. Okay. Now, we're splitting hairs because the numbers are so identical. Yeah, yeah. But I repeat, Clint Dempsey was mentality. Kobe Bryant mentality, that Mamba mentality, that's what Clint Dempsey had. In my eyes, that's what separates the two. We're splitting hairs because you're talking about two of the greatest players that this game in this country have ever seen. Let me, let me put it this way real, real, really quick. And this is strongly in sporting terms, right? Soccer. We're not talking about life or anything else. Mexican fans hate Landon Donovan. Yeah. Mexican fans respect Clint Dempsey. Do you see the difference? Well, I'm sure right? they respect Landon Donovan. There is, yeah, but there's, but, but there, there's a difference. There's well, a difference between respecting and hating someone at the same time, right? Because you see the enemy. You see the guy that has scored six times on us. And you see Glenn Dempsey is a fantastic player, and you have a lot of respect for him. But not at the same level as it was with uh, Landon Donovan. But again, congrats to all the inductees to the Hall of Fame. Let's run it back. Speaking of... U.S. players doing great things in Europe. Timmy Chandler, first American to win the Europa League. Oh man, that was a great game, dramatic game. Eintracht Frankfurt beating Rangers in penalty kicks. Congratulations to Timothy Chandler. Timothy Chandler is the first American yeah. in Europe. That blows my mind. So you had a, an American win Champions League a few times over before an American wins the Europa League. Either way, one was going to win it. James Sand was on the opposite end uh, with Rangers. Congratulations, Timmy Chandler, ex-teammate of mine with the national team. All right, we have uh, more action from the U.S. men's national team. USA playing Morocco. This is on Wednesday, starting at 7 p.m. on ESPN2. Also available streaming live on the ESPN app. Time to book it, Herc. We mentioned this at the beginning of the show. Relegation battle in Spain. Javier Aguirre's Mallorca and right now currently sitting at uh, 17th. Remember, bottom three teams are relegated. Levante and Alaves are already relegated. Mallorca will visit Javier Aguirre's former team, Osasuna de Pamplona. Then we have Granada playing Espanol and Cadiz at Alaves. And... In England, the Premier League, man, Everton, oh, they man. secured they, oh, their man. spot in dramatic fashion <laughs> in the Premier League. Man, what a game that was. So the now, now the fight is between Burnley, Burnley playing at home versus Newcastle United and Leeds, Jesse Marsh's Leeds United. They're sitting at 18 right now. They're gonna visit Brentford, Norwich and Watford are already relegated. So. Who will you book it? All right, so my homework was to pick a book it out of these relegation battlers, right? Do I pick Leeds? And that Burnley result was uh, massive and not a good way for Leeds. Or do I pick Mallorca, Javier Aguirre's Mallorca? I'm going to go with Javier Aguirre's Mallorca. Javier Aguirre mm. uh, and Mallorca playing against Osasuna. Uh, both teams to score at minus 140. Now, the both teams to score has hit five out of the last six times. For both teams, for Osasuna in their games and for Mallorca, they don't necessarily defend very well. And here's why I'm not picking Mallorca to win. And I know that can mean a lot of different things. It, Mallorca's playing away. They have been terrible away. Mallorca have, uh, can, have 
actually got nine possible points on the road out of a possible 54 points. So I'm going with pretty much a tie um, and both teams to score on this one. But pick the both teams to score at minus 140 if you want to make a little buck there. Yeah, it's going to be it's going to be dramatic, man. And also, yeah, Bernie, they played today tie, right? Uh, so that leaves uh, uh, Jason Marsh's team not in a great spot, no. uh, Leeds United. But in terms of Mallorca and Osasuna, in the end, do you believe Javier Aguirre will do the job? Do you believe his team will be safe? <laughs> That's a tricky one because Cadiz is playing against Alaves and Alaves is pretty much out of it. And yeah, I, I, I don't think they lose and I think they score, but the win, I mean, not proven they can win on the road, so. All right, uh, I'm going to go to the Deutsche Pokal, the German Cup. We were mentioning the game is on ESPN as well. Freiburg playing Leipzig. I'm going to go with Leipzig winning and the over of one and a half goals to hit. That would pay plus 150. Listen, Freiburg had a fantastic season. They ended up the Bundesliga in sixth place. Freiburg, after... They changed managers, right, after they let go of Jesse Marsh. Uh, they ended up playing really, really well, securing a European spot. Leipzig, yes. Leipzig, yes. Uh, securing a European spot, and this both teams are attacking teams. So I like the over to hit. I think Leipzig will win the game. It's a better team. And listen, at plus 150, have to take it. Uh, you, you were trying to look for the prop bet of Tyler Adams getting a yellow card in this one. We couldn't yeah, find Yeah, couldn't it, find it. But you still couldn't find that? it. Oh, yeah, no doubt. No, <laughs> if he plays, right? I believe he's going to play. I believe he's yeah. going to play. Okay. But if he plays, yellow card, book it for our guy, Tyler Adams. The final week of La Liga on ESPN Plus. Javier Aguirre going all or nothing against his former team, Osasuna de Pamplona. The action starts on Sunday at 2 p.m. Eastern on ESPN+. Plus. Man, the show went really, really fast. That was fast. It's time to go. Uh, remember to download the podcast. This show's podcast drops tomorrow on every platform. Subscribe to Football America's podcast. How about yes, I, how about I uh, propose something? Yeah. Since we're good on time. Um, let's go do a skills challenge, you and I. Are you I sure will you, challenge you. Are you sure you want to do this? I've you're, already been. You're the this. former pro player. Are you prepared to be embarrassed by a lawyer <laughs> who talks on TV? MLS Skill Challenge is here in LA. Liga We're MX. Do it. Liga MX represents. All right, Mexico, Estados Unidos. We'll get it going. <laughs> we'll see you next week, Football Americas. You want to come in this other day?